Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Hello, greetings, and welcome to another in our series called Grace Stories. These are stories of people, how they encounter God's grace at some point in their life. It makes a big difference in their lives. And uh, you'll see for yourself how it makes a great difference in the life of our guest today. But you know, you never can judge by outward appearances what a person has been through or what they're going through. <laughs> it's always good to hear their story. And it gives you a bit of understanding and context for who they really are. And, uh, and at the same time, who God is and what he's doing. So I think you really enjoy our visit today with uh, um, Gordon Bennett, who's better known as Butch, and we'll refer to him as Butch. And uh, welcome to our our Grace Stories, Butch. Oh, it's good to be here, Charlie. Thanks for, uh, <clears throat> thanks for inviting me. I appreciate that. Well, you're welcome, and I'm looking forward to, to hearing your story, although I've heard, I've heard some of it, and... Uh, <laughs> It's it's very interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting to the readers because, as we've seen, people come to know the Lord in different ways, and your your way is quite unique. So, um, now, uh, first of all, you work right now for a missions organization. So, people looking at you wouldn't think that some of the things they're going to hear were really true. But um, the way you got to the missions organization is a long road. So, where where are you from? Originally. So, um, yeah, I was born in 1946, October 3rd, 1946, uh, in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and grew up there. And we moved my parents from Atlantic City uh, to Hamilton, New Jersey. It's a little town between Philadelphia and Atlantic City. And all Italians, mostly there. And they liked the lamb. It reminded them when they came from Italy, what it was like for farming. So, you know, we lived in the Garden State, South Jersey, and that's where I grew up uh, as a Catholic, a Roman Catholic. I uh, went to school, a Roman Catholic school through seventh grade, and then uh, went to public school on and on. Yeah. So Jersey's the place I'm from. Yeah. Okay. A lot of it, a lot of Italians and good Italian yeah. food in Jersey. <laughs> good Italian food, good pizza, excellent pizza. Yeah. Everything that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I can't find anything like it where I am. Uh, so, what, what kind of Catholic were you? I mean, a faithful well, Catholic, a practicing Catholic, ritualistic? I um, describe that. Catholic schools were, you know, predominant in the town I lived in. They had a public school. Parents were five of us uh, kids, and we all were sent to Catholic schools, a Roman Catholic school, St. Joseph's. And my parents would drop us off there went to school, and then they would drop us off every Sunday at church. None of, neither one of them ever came into church with us. They would just drop us off as required if you went to the Catholic school. So, yeah, we'd go into church before we went in. They would give us a quarter to drop into the basket as it was passed around. So my brother and I especially, we go into the penny store that's next door, and we buy, like, pretzels and different things. You can you can spend 20 cents back then on pretzels and candy 
and we have a nickel left and we put that in the basket. It was almost <laughs> the size of a quarter. So, I mean, you know, no one was paying attention that closely. So I wasn't anything. The Latin, the mass was in Latin. The priest faced the altar. You only saw his back. No one knew what he was saying. Nuns would walk around and make sure you behave yourself. So I wouldn't say uh, I was any kind of a practicing Catholic in any way. It was just I was forced to go there as a kid. So I went and uh, that was basically it's a good education. I have to say that much when I got and went to public school. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot in Catholic school without realizing I learned a lot in Catholic school until I went to public school. Well, you got a lot, a lot of general subjects, you mean? Yeah, just they forced you to pay attention. They disciplined you. They made you, you know, do your homework. They they would hit you if you didn't. Um, they were disciplinarians, strict, strict people, which wasn't a bad thing, especially if you didn't know any better. My father was that way growing up. Mm-hmm. After World War II, he was, uh, you know, a sergeant, so he was pretty tough on us, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't know any better as kids. I just grew up that way. But. Did you have at this point through your Catholic church and school experience any particular thoughts about God or was it just not at all? Not at all. Not really. It was just uh to me, it was like a looking back on it was just something you did because that's what you had to do. You know, it was like getting up in the morning. Yeah. Um, just did what you were told to do. And it wasn't a bad thing. They didn't like, uh, you know, they didn't hurt you or beat you unnecessarily or do anything bad to you. It was just like this regimented routine you went through constantly mm-hmm. and you just performed your duties. You did your work and everybody was okay with, they're happy with you. I'm just curious. Did they teach the Bible? No, there was no Bible that I remember or the word Bible. In fact, back then, you weren't really allowed to read your a Bible. You were forbidden to go to a Protestant church of any kind. Mm. That was called a sin. I can't remember if it was mortal or venial. But I had buddies invite me to their churches as a kid, and I told them I couldn't go. I wasn't allowed to go. Hmm. And that would be the end of the story. Wow. So they wouldn't let you into church, no Bibles, none of that stuff. Mm. How long did you stay in Catholic school? Well, uh, they... We left in seventh grade. I was in seventh grade. Parents couldn't afford Catholic school. We went to public school in eighth grade. And I had to repeat uh, seventh grade because I got in trouble with the church, with the Catholic church. And I've repeated that in, uh, when I went to public school, which was a breeze because we were further educated in Catholic school and they were eighth grade in public school. Went to public school, and then uh, I got kicked out of public school in 11th grade for getting into a fight with a principal and carrying on doing some things I shouldn't have done, and uh, they ended up expelling me in 11th grade. So You got expelled from school. Yeah. (laughs) I got basically kicked out of Catholic school, but we're going to leave anyway. And then in public school. Why you got kicked out of Catholic school? Uh, I got into, I didn't get into a fight with a nun, but she pinched me under my arm one time and I went to hit her for it. And it was a reflex reaction. And that was not looked at favorably um, by the school. But since we were going to leave anyway, it was a non-issue, but they were told me I was done. Uh, I told my parents I was done. In fact, my mother told me back that they said in first grade, I was incorrigible. 
in first grade. And had my mother crying. Yeah. They called her in and said, your son is incorrigible. And I remember when she told me, I didn't know what it meant. back. It wasn't back in first grade, she told me. But I remember coming to class one day. She's leaving crying. And I had to go with her. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if she was sick or what, whatever. But, yeah, it wasn't like <laughs> I was incorrigible, threw me out of seventh grade, got thrown out of 11th grade. I never finished high school um, until I went into the Army, until I got drafted in the military. So, you, sound, you sounded like a wild child. Uh, I was probably, yeah. Uh, they said that back then they probably would have given me Ritalin, five or six other medications to calm me down. They said I was always like wanting to do things, busy, bored, or causing issues, not sitting in my seat the way I should, all kinds of little things that yeah. I can think back on it. I probably had a, was just like, rambunctious kid yeah you're right i wasn't yeah they didn't have a name for it back then but i guess they had all kinds of uh acronyms for it today but yeah yeah they didn't have it might have helped you i don't know i'm glad you didn't hit the nun because that would have been a mortal sin i would suppose (laughs) oh yeah i'm not i'm happy i didn't but they they had a way of pinching you right under the arm that boy that would hurt yeah that would that would tick me off but there were times i'd stand in the corner of the wall as a punishment during class and you have to stand in a corner and just stare at the wall as a punishment hmm. uh, to help you to learn how to behave. So well, did that work too good or not. <laughs> did the military experience uh, go better for you? I went in the military, I got drafted in 1966. They ended up sending me, you know, the Vietnam war was going on and pretty strong. They sent me to Germany and they were replacing, I was replacing some soldiers going to Vietnam. I went to Germany and I remember being in Heidelberg, Germany. It was a university town. If you've ever been there, a beautiful place along the Nectar River. It has all these old buildings, some of the Romans built. Unbelievable. You wouldn't believe this place. Beautiful place. But anyway, we were there. Somehow during that time, I decided I'm going to turn over a little leaf and uh, finish high school. So I took a GED test, studied, passed the tests, took college entrance exam to University of Maryland, extension division, took English courses, and did that till I got out of the Army. I was in there two years and came back to uh, Jersey, Fort Dix, in August of 68. and went right into college, military, funded my college education, was the GI Bill back then. Mm-hmm. And so... I was going to make something out of my life. My parents were extremely happy and jumping up and down. And I was doing really well in school and kind of happy that I could, I was turning over a new leaf. Yeah. What were you aiming towards as far as your education? Or I was looking to get involved in biology and they had a good program, University of Miami, microbiology. I was thinking of that. Um, so, and I was pursuing that. They opened a new school up in New Jersey, they had brand new labs, new science teachers. This was the place to go, they said, to get your first two years in cheap before you go to a university. So that was my plan. However, I had friends, all my buddies were getting high and doing drugs when I got back. We had a lot of stuff came back from mom, by the way, it was primo stuff that people were taking. And it was a lot changed in a year and a half from being in Germany leaving the United States, coming back. 
at that time was a very volatile period of time in our country, you know, 66, right. 69, 70. So that kind of, I, I was doing drugs and going to college and working uh, on the side for the Federal Housing Administration doing work, uh, refurbishing homes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So carpenter work. Yeah. It kept me in shape. <laughs> it's a good thing I did yeah. because of the drugs. Yeah. So, so yeah. Drugs were a big part of your life at this point. They became larger and larger, still in school, larger and larger. When I graduated, I decided that uh, uh, the, the leaf turned back over the other way. And I became more and more disillusioned with my education, why I was doing it, uh, why, why was I here? I mean, I was doing a lot of stimulant drugs, that kind of stuff. And studying my notes in college. So, and then working, I think the working helped keep me healthy during that time. So it was a weird combination of work, physical work, drugs, studying. I, mean, I look back on it, studying hard science, biology, chemistry. Those are the main subjects I was studying. Hmm. And I remember thinking, um, I was born here. I'm going to live for a while and I'm just going to drop dead. They're going to dig a hole and put me in it. So uh, from the time I was born to the time I, I die, uh, what am I going to be doing with my life? Which uh, opened up the door to more questions like, what is this life? Why am I here? What should I be doing? Uh, how do we get here? Where are we going? All this stuff would go through my mind. And I had no answers. You know, the people that said they had answers, I, that, you know, all I remember hearing from evolution and that kind of nonsense in my mind mm -hmm. uh, was causing me to really question the reason I was here. Why should I work hard to make a career and do that for what? I'm going to drop dead. They're going to put me in a hole and you'll be forgotten over time. And it was very, very depressing, by the way, and discouraging. A, a nihilistic outlook on life. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't for, even for a young man to have. That's very unfortunate, but good questions that everyone should ask at some point. I think you're right. And uh, I think that because of the drugs, it just accelerated my questioning of everything. And the uh, more I questioned, the more discouraged I became. I had friends who had committed suicide during my age for being on drugs. Hmm. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to try, try to find out, can I, are there more stones that need to be overturned? What the heck is going on? And I started selling some drugs to a small clientele. I was moving more and more toward that lifestyle than away from everything else. And it was becoming, like you said, uh, I was becoming very um, pessimistic um, toward life in general getting more and more, I was doing more and more drugs. And it wasn't a, wasn't a good scene for me at that point in time. However, even though that was true, still asking questions. Mm -hmm. I began to become convinced there has to be somebody out there that made all this stuff. I remember having some aha moments in, in biology class. Uh, yeah, we had, I had some courses in comparative invertebrate zoology, microbiology, and I'd be looking in, at microscopes at this little microscopic life forms and how they operated and looking at the structures inside of a cell and all. 
And I would look at this stuff and it was like, somebody put this together. Hmm. It's, it's well organized. I remember the little flagellum motor on a paramecium or one of, and this thing would turn around and push it through liquids. And I'm like, this is a, they call it a motor. The <laughs> scientists call it a motor. Hmm. And who in the world makes a motor like this? This small, this efficient. And we copycat it and use it for the rear end of an automobile. So I'm like, uh, this haunted me. This was like, there's, there's got to be more going on here than meets the eye. Um, and so I began to think that way. Didn't know where it would go. I didn't have any answers. People I talked to, my mother would tell me, uh, you need to really, really think about God, believe in God. And she said a lot of that. We talk about God. And the God she worshipped was, in my mind, a cruel, vindictive God, didn't care about what he created. Uh, he created this world, threw it out there somewhere, would stomp on it now and then and laugh and walk away. You had pain, suffering. That's what you were saying to your mom? Yeah. I, I, went, I was trying to understand where she was coming from. Mm -hmm. I wasn't against the fact that there was a God because that started to haunt me. There has to be somebody. But if it's a God who created all this, <clears throat> obviously he's not a real happy camper God. He's crushing his creation. If he's all powerful and all these things, why is there all this suffering and pain and evil in the world? I'd rather have no God than a God like that. But no God was not an option either based on what I was looking at and studying. There has to be something I don't understand. Right. And, she would cry like um, I. she didn't have any answers. I couldn't find anybody had any answers that uh, there's no God. Then how do you explain all this? It was an explosion. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. If there is a God, then how do you explain the suffering, carnage, and death? Okay. Uh, it wasn't yeah. um, a good time. Yeah. Well, you obviously have changed your mind since then. So yeah. But <laughs> What got your attention uh, diverted from that pessimistic view of life? I think what happened is that uh, I was dating a girl, Pat. I think you met her, right? Oh, yeah. I met Pat. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. wife. She, I gave so, away the end of the story. She's your wife. <laughs> she, we were dating. Uh, I was unsaved. She was unsaved. I met her at a, a nightclub called The Rec Room. And we're getting to know each other. Uh, we were hanging out. And um, she worked at a place where my father worked, he got her a job there at a, a chemical factory. It was a, actually made um, Dristan and stuff like that. Nasal spray was aspirin, that, that kind of chemical place. Whitehall Laboratories was called. Mm -hmm. She ran into a guy, a Catholic guy who was a Catholic, who knew me in my hometown. And he started witnessing to her. And he, the way he witnessed to her, according to my wife, he just went up to her and said, I, I, I could tell you're not a Christian. And uh, hmm. she goes, I'm a Catholic. She goes, yeah. But, and he started questioning her. She went home and got her mother's Latin Douay version Bible. It was English from a Latin translation, started reading some of it. And she got saved. Hmm. And I didn't know any of this. And so they told her immediately at work, stop dating this guy you're dating because he's out of his mind. He's no good for you. You're a Christian. You shouldn't date an unbeliever and uh, you got to get rid of him immediately. They negotiated the deal. I got one month 
to get saved. He's supposed to tell we got we're gonna give you a month. Okay. One month. If he doesn't get saved in a month, you pull the lever on him. And uh they were praying for me. Now who is they? These were these were Christians that were at the same workplace my wife was at. Okay. Group of Christians. They were they she got saved and they're trying to disciple her. And her first move was, which was wise, get rid of this loser. He's no good for you. And she said, well, well, can't we pray for him? And, and they, I guess she talked him into praying for me in two weeks after that started, I ended up getting saved, but it was, uh, the story was that I was like one night I was, uh, <clears throat> I had to go out and meet some guys I was selling drugs to. And I got I got high and I got sick. And I went upstairs in my room and laid down. I, I gotta get going. Did some more. These were all methamphetamines. And I'm like, I gotta get going. Man, it was like someone stabbed me in the kidney with a knife. That's how nauseous I became. I had to lay down. Went upstairs, laid down, and uh I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I like to read, and right next to me was a reach out New Testament and New Living Translation that Pat was my girlfriend at that time, had left there, forgot it next to my bed. She would lay in, in that room because the sun was set, was on the western side of the house and warm up the room. Hmm. She forgot it there. And I don't know if someone bought it for her, or they said, Here, you need to read this Bible, not that way thing. Well, I picked it up, started reading it. Uh, pictures of some girls' faces on it. Didn't look like a Bible. It was a paperback. It didn't have a lot of Bible strings hanging out in gold mm -hmm. leaf and leather. It was just like a book. And I'm reading about Jesus, and it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. This, who is this Jesus? Because he's not the one I heard about in Catholic Church. To make a long story short, I read through it all night. I was getting, I can't remember how far I got into Revelation. I didn't know what that was. I went back and started reading John again. Because mm. at the end of John, it, it mentioned that the book was written so people would understand Jesus, something like that. Mm. So I ended up reading, I ended up reading, I have it in John 11, 20 through 27, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, he went to meet him. She went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Talking about Lazarus. Uh -huh. But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Hmm. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Well, when I was reading that, it was like, I did believe it. It was <laughs> like you speaking directly to me. Butch, do you believe this? I am life. I am the source of life. I'm the resurrection of life. I rose from the dead. All that stuff I had just been reading that he said he would do. And I read all the way to the end. I'm starting again. I'm like, he is life. This makes perfect sense, especially after reading the kind of person he was. was nothing like the God that I thought God was like based mm -hmm. on my studies and evaluating the world around me. Just highlighted further something I need to understand more 
about this God and Jesus claimed to be God. That's why I got saved that night. I remember started crying like a little baby, felt this big weight like came off of me. Like the questions I had been asking, I finally got an answer. Mm-hmm. About why? Got an answer. How? Who? Wow. Yeah. Of course, immediately I began to question whether or not this was true. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, how can this be true? It's too good to be true. This, w- what's going on? I began to doubt whether or not the reliability of the Bible could be trusted. So uh, I went out and bought, I went to this bookstore, Bible bookstore. I can't remember how quickly after that. It, I asked the guy, so I'm a Christian now. I believe in Jesus. I need some Bible books and a Bible. So he set me up with the Schofield Bible. And I got Zondervan Pictorial Dictionary. I got uh, some studies on, I got some of those books over here. So um, Concordances, I got that. Bynes Expository Dictionary and a Mm. few other books. And I would go home and read some of that and try to understand on apologetics. I got a few books on, can we know the Bible's true? Mm -hmm. I can't remember the author. But that just reinforced the fact that when you throw the Bible out, you got to throw out all history and everything else out with it. It's, that's mm-hmm. how reliable it is. So this strengthened my faith. And of course, then those guys found out I got saved. They invited me to this church that was down the street, was a good one. We went to a few different ones. Um, and that was my journey. It was amazing to me. Uh, I think the reason I ended up getting saved there were people praying for me. Mm-hmm. That makes and I was difference. also looking for something. Yeah. So the per- perfect storm of, uh, yeah, of you're prayer, right. prayer and searching. And, uh, and Pat was feeling pretty happy at this point for you. Oh yeah. She was all pumped up like, for yeah. herself <laughs> also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to, yeah, just, just to clarify when you're, when you say that you were saved, you were laying in bed reading the Bible. Right. Yeah. So you realized at that point, there was nothing you had to do. You didn't need to turn from any particular sin or sins, or you realize your baptism wasn't a part of that. Uh, it was um, just faith alone. It was that pretty clear to you at that point. I would say so. If you were to ask me back then, if I thought I was lost or something, I wouldn't have known how I would have answered. Otherwise, I felt like I had a lot of questions no one can answer. And I had no, I had no thoughts whatsoever about um, I had to do anything, stop doing something, feel bad about something. I didn't feel bad about anything. <clears throat> when I was reading it, I felt very good that I'm getting answers to the questions. Here's God who actually from reading the book of John became a human being became one of us to redeem us from the mess we're in that we created. And I thought that was a very good thing. Um, I like the fact that he would do that. And that was it. And when he said, I'm the resurrection of life, he, if he died, which I had read through John originally going back, if he actually died and rose from the dead, then he has the keys to death and life. He knows what it is. So I believed right there. I remember when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Mm. 
that, though, that was it. <laughs> I believe the record, as I look back, that God gave his son in the Bible. I believe what God said about his son in the book, that what Jesus did, he's the source of life. That was all I did. And that immediate response was, wow, man, this is awesome. I, I can't believe that this, that God would go to this extent. It answers questions. Still the questions that weren't answered that I, I, I had to investigate. What was the problem down here that created the mess we were in? Yeah. Like I didn't know about Genesis and the sin of Adam and Eve. And all. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. All I knew were the ramifications I was experiencing in my life. I realized this was the result of what they did initially. And, and it now sowing reap principle, all that came helped me understand even further to appreciate yeah. what God is doing. And you probably didn't understand what grace was, I'm thinking, but you you understood it implicitly when you believed. Oh yeah. Only believed. Look, I was doing after I got state, I started reading that. I was still doing methamphetamines to read the Bible. It helped so, you read the Bible. Yeah, I would because I wanted to. I didn't want to have to get tired and sleep. I wanted to keep reading and studying. I'll take notes. So <laughs> we I don't rec some, necessarily uh, recommend that, though, do we? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm just saying. I had these uh, black views. They're called methamphetamine. They're pharmaceutical grade quality speed, stuff. Speed, yeah. yeah. Speed it was good stuff, and I didn't had no clue that uh, God cared that a corrupt government told me I shouldn't do these drugs illegally. Like, why would God support a corrupt, pathetic government? That's how I thought about our government at the time. Hmm. Why would he support that? And until I got to Romans 13, started understanding that he sets up governments. And really, that's when it was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, you can't, God put these people in place. He didn't ask your permission to do it. He put them in place. And this is what he wants you to do. It just happened to be at the time I came to that recognition. I ran out of drugs. So hmm. I'd have to go out of my way to get more if I wanted to continue down that path. So I prayed and asked God that I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do things that please you. And I don't think this pleases you based on the word. So I'm, I'm going to stop. And then I just need, you know, you got to help me or something. I wasn't even sure how to pray mm -hmm. what, what the official prayers. Were supposed to be. Yeah. It's, and, interesting. Uh, it's interesting to me that you understood that you didn't have to give up drugs. You didn't necessarily know it was wrong, but, so you continue the drugs, but as you learn more and more yeah, about yeah. God's word, you wanted to live a life that pleased him. Exactly. I and that was your motivation. Him. Yeah, you're right. That was my motivation. So I gave all that up. And then uh, all my friends started to fall off. They come over, we get high, smoke dope and everything. And I, I remember one night uh, smoking some marijuana and I wasn't getting high and there's nothing. And I'm like, what is wrong with this stuff? And they're like, oh, this is good. This is that and everything else. And uh, I remember thinking about what, what the heck is going on. And I realized that my mind was now at rest. There was no other place for it to go. Hmm. You can't go beyond God. Hmm. I came into a relationship with God through Christ. My mind was at rest. I was satisfied, content. And the marijuana, the only thing it would do is affect my body, but not my mind. Mine wouldn't go anywhere. Hmm. It wouldn't budge an inch. So wow. it was like, Okay. And that was the end of all my friends. Although the one meeting I had, a couple of them actually got saved mm. and they moved to different places. So I, I didn't stay in touch with them. I believe the only wall person had to do to get saved 
was believe the record that God gave of his son in the Bible. Mm -hmm. if, if God said this is true, and I believe it's true at that moment, God, I'm, I have a right standing with God. He accepts me based on my faith in, in his word. Mm -hmm. so I, I was convinced of that from my own experience. And the more I read and studied, the more I became convinced. That's the beginning of a, a right standing with God and a new life with God. And that's, well, it happened in 19, it came, it happened in January of 1973. Yeah. I trust January 73. Well, yeah. there's so many people who would look at your experience and, and judge it by saying, uh, you can't get saved unless you give up drugs and get the cart before the horse yeah. or the works before <laughs> salvation. Uh, instead, you're telling us you got saved and then you had an internal motivation to please God. And that's what got you off drugs. Yeah, you're right. I had no clue. In fact, I was taking friends of mine to a church we had gone to after I got saved. The pastor said, I want you to bring your friends to the church to hear the word of God. He said it this way, be under the sound of the word of God. I thought that was great. So on Sunday nights, you, well, I had friends who would sit in the back of the church. I was up the front. I'd look at them. I'd look at the pastor. I'd look at them. <laughs> and he was teaching this legalism on repentance that you had to do a 180. He would go up and down the, the front of the church, make a U-turn, because this is repentance. You make a U-turn. You give this up. You give up booze. You give up rock music. You give up, and you, and you had to give up all these things in order to be repent. To get saved, you had to repent before you got saved. Mm -hmm. I remember standing, sitting there, looking at him like, "What the heck?" Looking at my buddies, and they got this look on their face like, "I don't know. I got to give up what? I got. Yeah. I got to give yeah. all the stuff up. How am I going to do that?" Yeah. Had meetings with them to try to help me understand. Am I missing the boat? I'm a new believer. Maybe I don't know what yeah. I'm talking about. The more I study repentance and talking with him, uh, they excommunicated me from the church with a letter. Mm -hmm saying I was preaching false doctrine or something. I didn't even know what they're talking about. Wow. All I knew was, why are you putting this, all this on my foot? I'm telling them I don't have to give up anything. And you're telling them to give up stuff, but I'm doing what you asked, bringing them under the sound of the word, because I believe that would be them hearing the word of God would be helpful. We stopped yeah. going to that church. It was unfortunate. I felt bad about it. Um, we were actually giving them money. Money it was to a help rebuild the church. Wow. That was a confusing message for them. So they're, they're oh. hope, hopefully you found a better church. Yes. Uh, I found the church, Garden Lake Bible Church. And those guys started out in Florida Bible College. And there you go. basically, I would say it's more of a free grace church than anything else right there yeah. in, in New Jersey. A small church, but uh -huh. they love the Lord. But that was... Uh, Lost a lot of friends. Um, my mother and father got saved. My brother, hmm. one brother, committed suicide. They found tracks in his pocket. I witnessed him a lot. Hmm. My other sister and younger brother got saved. They're struggling in their Christian life uh, over different issues because they're not being discipled well by anybody. Yeah. I realized how important that was. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord that um, your fa some of your family uh, got saved. Maybe sounds like all of them. Um, yeah, sure brother wrote, read those tracks. Um, it's hard to know what's going through a person's mind. So yeah, it is. At the, uh, you, you go in the church. Did you end up serving in church? How did you get into Christian service? 
we uh, were at a few churches. We were at heard messages about missions. Uh, one church said that the gospel has been preached globally through the radio waves going around the whole globe. Right. Uh, another time a guy came in and said, there's still people uh, on planet earth that never heard the name of Jesus. And I remember my wife and I are sitting next to each other in this church. Hmm. And I'm like, what? The guy a couple of weeks ago said, everybody's heard it. We're in a, like kind of a mop-up operation, occupy till he comes, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Okay. Occupy, whatever that is. And then <laughs> this guy <laughs> saying, there's people that never um, heard about Jesus. And I'm like, I was just sitting there thinking, hold on a minute. What, what, are we, what are you saying that they never heard about him? And he's explaining mission work he's doing. And uh, and we had to come back the next Sunday for him to finish what he was talking about. I had a little video with a guy eating a rat, roasted rat on a stick. And he stopped it just as he's ready to bite it. The next week, he explained further. And he asked for, he did like an altar call type thing, bow your head, all that. And he said, I'm, on, I'm just asking if anybody's willing to consider doing this kind of mission work, would you please just stand up? So I stood up and then we were married by this time. So I, I peeked over, you had your eyes closed. Mm -hmm. I said, stood up. Yeah. And she stood up too. Mm -hmm. I knew then we were doomed. <laughs> you do mission work. Yeah. I said, we're done. We had careers. I did at Acme supermarkets or I was going to be a, end up, I was a bakery manager moving up the ladder. So was she and her job. Mm -hmm. And I knew then right then that was the end of that. That's over. This, I'm done with all that anyway. Um, we're going to be missionaries. We're going to take the gospel where it's never been. That was in my ambition and my wife's. And that's how we got involved with uh, New Tribes Mission. So I went to Florida Bible College. Then we went to the um, Missions Institute for now Ethnos 360 in 1978. Became missionary in 1981, January. Went to Mexico in 82 to work in the Pima tribe, uh, that didn't work out. They asked us to do, be, do teaching for a while at their MK school because my wife was sick. Mm -hmm. We did that for a year. They kicked us out. The school got kicked out. We went back to the Pima tribe with Barry and Candy Wingo in Sonora, Mexico, trying to learn the Pima language and um, give them the gospel. Mm -hmm. That lasted about a year and a half. Then my wife's lung collapsed. We had to come back to Jersey. Mm -hmm. And they asked me if I would go to Jackson, Michigan to teach there and be a dean. And that was in 1986. So mm -hmm. we were there from 1987. We started, came down here to Florida, where I'm at now, 19, excuse me, 2021, to work with this biblical resource group on helping the mission with doctrinal issues. Yeah. So we were in Jackson 33 years. Yeah. And, and that's where I met you when I went up to teach there. At, yeah, you were up there teaching. The, the what was the New Tribes uh, Institute in Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, that's where I first met you and heard parts of your story. And I oh, <laughs> filed that away in my mind, said I got to hear this whole story someday. Yeah, that's it. It was like uh, I miss teaching uh, young people that way, hanging out with them and and, and discipling them. We did a lot of that. And a lot, a lot of people, their parents of some of those students are here with us right now. Hmm. And I meet some of them now and then. It's like, it's good. It's good to be refreshed with their presence and to see what God's doing in their life around the world. I get a lot of information from them. 
it's been uh, an amazing <clears throat> journey. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, Charlie. It's like, a, like, it's like I got saved yesterday. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I trusted Christ as my savior. It's like the clock stopped ticking. I can't Amen. explain it. It's mm. like uh, time ceased to exist. It's, it's just an ongoing continuum that goes into eternity and you have events on the timeline that just reflect God's grace and care and kindness. And at the same time, I see my own shortcomings, failures and faults. And he looks at those like, I just want you to keep getting up every day and step forward and step forward. I got you covered. Hmm. Don't, don't look back, look forward. And that, and that's been what we've been doing since the day I got saved, I didn't, I didn't, I still don't understand how that works. Yeah. Except that uh, it's going to go into eternity. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know uh, why people. I, I don't know why people think the Christian life is a boring, stodgy life. <laughs> it's it's the most exciting life every day. Yeah. Different. Experiencing life with God's life uh, in you. Uh, it's an amazing experience. It is amazing. It's hard to describe. Um, one, the more I understand the depth of God's love for us, and I was reading Paul the other day where he said that uh, in Romans 7, at the end, struggling with the flesh and the law, oh, wretched man that I am, not was. He said, I am chief sinner, not was. Mm -hmm. So he knew he was still growing in grace, and he would see his shortcomings and he knew that God wasn't holding those against him because all sin is forgiven. The only problem you have with walking in sin is like you were saying, you don't get to enjoy that life of Christ now in my world. Right. right. It, it, it's there for all of us. How can it be boring? Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I feel the same. I like the way that you say it's hard to express and understand uh, yeah. the way life is to, walking with the Lord every day on a day-by-day -day basis, because that's the feeling of uh, wonderment and awe uh, yeah. that we have with him. And uh, I, I echo those same thoughts. It's just amazing wake, to wake up thankful, go to bed thankful each day, even when bad things happen sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Butch, uh, I think, first of all, we should thank you for your service in the military. You were drafted. Sounds like you were drafted in missions also, but <laughs> you serve faithfully and you're still serving. Yeah, I've drafted both. We, want, we want to thank you for your service there in uh in Mexico, but also in training all those young people in Jackson. I'm sure you're looked up to as a as a mentor and an example oh, yeah. for many, many people. You've had a, yeah, a rich yeah. a rich uh ministry and um God is no, I don't I feel like I don't deserve any of it. I feel unworthy of any of it. I feel like, you know, uh, why me? And just still amazed at the fact that God would go to this extent to reach out to me. Well, that's I, that's I where grace comes in. That's where grace comes in. What would you say to somebody as we close? What would you say to somebody who's thinking, well, I don't want to become a Christian. I got to give up drinking. I got to give up drugs. I got to give up living with my girlfriend. We know those things aren't things that please the Lord, but what would you say to someone like that who's been confronted with the gospel but doesn't want to give up things? Well, I would say that you don't have to give up anything. It was God's not asking you to give up a thing. What God did something, he gave up something of extreme value to reach out to us 
and that was his own son, his mm -hmm. only son, mm -hmm. whom he loved. He gave freely, and the son freely said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. That would be to draw us to him and give us the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That's a gift he offers to me. I don't have to do anything for it. He's not requiring me to do anything. He's not asking me to give up anything because he knows this. I, from my own experience, he knows if he could only, if I would only just take him at his word, I'd be declared righteous and I'm born again. I'm in his family. I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of eternal life. And he's going to show me that what I thought was of great value is nothing but a vapor mm. worth nothing. And that was my whole life, mm. not worth a hill of beans. He's going to show me a new life that surpasses that. It's called eternal life. Mm -hmm. Whatever I had down here, I hit that wall somewhere. I believe everybody does. This life's temporal. It doesn't satisfy. It's like you got to read the book of Ecclesiastes again, maybe. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing here worth hanging on to. But he'll give you everything and beyond what you imagine. And he's asking nothing from you up front. Not a, there's nothing. He's done it all. Yeah. So, you don't have to give up anything to get saved. Yeah. You just need to trust Christ as your savior. Amen. That's so, what That's what grace is all about. It's, it's is, receiving right. the gift of God, not what we give him because we don't have anything to give him. Well, he doesn't need anything from us anyway. Doesn't need what are you going to give us? Yeah. No. Well, amen. Well, thank you for that testimony, Butch. And thanks for sharing your story with us today. Charlie, my pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks well, for what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you for your service and, May God give you many, many rich years ahead of serving there with uh, Ethnos 360. Well, we're going to say goodbye to Butch, but uh, before we go, just let me remind you that uh, we would appreciate if you leave some comments or give us a good five-star review. That means more people will tune into this podcast and share the podcast with others you know, especially if, if you know someone that might echo um, Butch's experience in life and... Um, and maybe they'll they'll see things a little bit differently after hearing his story because his his life had a great change and I think it uh, promises God can promise the same change for any life that comes to Him. So we uh, we'll look forward to the next time that uh, you join us, and we'll say until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.